and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. But I almost feel like I need to say hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection because it's been a while since we've recorded. We uh, hit an emergency podcast in August when Paige Becker's tore her ACL. Our last one came in July, so we took a little bit of a summer holiday, summer vacation, but we're back. The fall semester is already going, so the season is right around the corner. The players are back on campus. We talked with them last week. Got, got to talk with Paige Beckers for the first time since her injury. Got to meet the newest member of the team, which we'll get to in a little bit. But it was the 4th of July, I swear to God, like 20 minutes ago. Now, it's not even August anymore. We're in September. Are we sure that August exists or is that just a figment of our imagination? Honestly, I feel like I don't know what happened to August. Just so. But yeah, somehow it's September. Somehow we're recording this on Tuesday, literally exactly two months from today. We have an exhibition game. I don't know how that happened, but we're very close to the season. I didn't actually know that was the exact time frame. It still feels like it's months and months off. I know that two months is still multiple months, but even still, it's right around the corner. And it's not like last year where we're going to have so many, not false starts, but start and stop, start and stop. It's the game start and we're right into it. All of a sudden it's going to be December, Christmas time. Then we're going to blink and it's going to be mid-February and there's going to be five regular season games left. Then we're going to blink. We're going to be at Mohegan Sun for the Big East tournament. Then we're going to blink and we're going to be in either what is a Greenville or Seattle for the regionals. And then who knows what happens after that? Who knows if we're going to blink and be back in Connecticut or blink and be in Dallas, but it's (laughs) once it starts, it is incredibly long and incredibly slow and incredibly draining, but also extremely fast. I don't know how to describe it any other way. Yeah, exactly. It always speeds by just like the off season does apparently. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think this week is the week I hit the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready for it because I'm sick of just sitting down at my computer every day and being like, all right, what are we going to write about today? What are we going to have to come up with? There's no games. There's nothing to look forward to. It's just finding things to write about and talk about for the next couple of months until we finally get into those games. But We actually have some stuff to talk about. We have plenty of stuff to talk about this episode. Last time we spoke, Paige Beckers had just torn her ACL. Both of us were still definitely in shock. I was recording from vacation. I can't remember. Were you on vacation too? I think I was actually home for once. Okay, so (laughs) we caught you on the rare occasion that you were actually home. But now that we've processed it a little bit, I think... It doesn't feel as fresh. It doesn't feel as stunning. I still, every now and then, just sit and think to myself, like, damn, poor Paige. Like, why her? Why did it have to be her? That just sucks. But now I feel like we're getting a little bit better of an idea of what it's going to look like without her. And the fact that we were able to talk with her for the first time since the injury made me feel a lot better on a personal level because she seems like she's doing way better than I would have expected. Even her teammates said that she's way more upbeat, way more positive, not really sulking the same way that she did when she got hurt last year, which I think is a really positive sign. And just another example of how she's built different. I mean, I don't think anyone would blame her if she was still down in the dumps 
really upset, really frustrated, but she said it was basically the week she got hurt. And right after she had surgery and got it fixed, she flipped a switch and it's just all positivity. Now it's just so hard not to feel really bad for her, but just be so impressed by the way that she's handling it. She's, it feels like this gets thrown around with a lot of players, but she's just so mature beyond her age with not only the way she's handled this injury, but the way she handles her status as a player, the way she handles her fame, the way she handles her abilities. I mean, she's just not, she's not like anyone else I've really seen before. So it was nice to finally get to hear from her what everything was like. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a good sign for her recovery as well, because as much as she's got a really big uphill battle physically, the mental part of it is such a big part of it as well. So it's good to hear that because she's kind of in a good place going into what's going to be a long recovery. It also helps from an outside perspective that we actually got some clarity on her future. On our last podcast, we outright said that we don't know if we've seen the last of Paige in a UConn uniform, but she confirmed that that would not be the case. She said she's coming back next year. She's going to play college basketball again. I think most of us actually would have predicted that to be the case. It just didn't feel right that she was going to go out not on her own terms, having really only played one and a half seasons at UConn when she's spoken so much about how this has been a lifelong dream for her, how, I mean, she's always wanted to play with AZ Fudd, her best friend. She didn't really get to do that last year all that much. You hope. She gets a full recovery this year, and she already said she's not coming back this year, which is the right move. I don't really want to argue with anyone who's like, oh, well, it would be worth it if they could get her for the last month or so of the season. No, it won't be. She will, if even if she's fully healthy by, I don't know, let's say she makes an amazing recovery and is fully healthy by the beginning of February, that doesn't mean she's fully healthy. I mean, I I guess I just contradicted myself, but that doesn't mean she's all the way there mentally. That doesn't mean she's even going to be the player that UConn would expect her to be. And since she's not coming back, it's not only that she has enough time to get back, but she has that entire summer to work back either mentally or get that confidence back in her knee, which a lot of athletes say is the toughest part of an ACL injury that next year, when you're trying to feel like it's not just going to give out on you, that's a really long recovery time for her and not that there's any good time for her to tear an ACL but that feels like a pretty good time frame because if it happened in May or June people would immediately start thinking okay well she could still be back next year the fact that there's no possibility that she's coming back benefits her it benefits the team and the fact that they have the entire preseason to figure it out without her that's also a really good sign. The rug's not just getting pulled under them, out from under them like it was last year. So in a very not ideal scenario, the timing of it worked out pretty well. Yeah, exactly. They've got a lot of time to prepare for that. I think we've started to see the beginning of that a little bit already, what we're going to get to next. But they have a lot of time in the preseason to adjust and figure out what they're going to do. So I think you're going to see a team that's kind of already somewhat adapted to that loss in game one versus kind of what we saw last year where there was just a couple games where things really went off the rails without her. Also, UConn's absolutely winning the national championship in 2024. No doubt in my mind about that. You think this Paige revenge tour isn't just going to light the world on fire, especially when there's not going to be a Leah Boston in South Carolina to contend with? Oh, man. 
yeah, I like I can't imagine what she's gonna be like when she gets back. <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be awesome. I mean, even you're gonna lose Dorka Lou at least this year. I don't think there'd probably be any other departures, but the freshman guards they're bringing in next year are gonna be really good. Ashlyn Shade, KK Arnold. As long as the freshman bigs are as advertised, which I think there's a pretty good chance they will. I actually went through recruiting rankings over the last 10 years. And for the most part, top 10 recruits always work out. Ice Brady and Ayana Patterson. Ayana Patterson. I like eyeball. Ayana Patterson. Both top 10 recruits. I think they're both going to be really good. Aaliyah Boston. Nope. Aaliyah Edwards as a senior is going to be really good. Losing Dorco will hurt. I think they'll have enough to to figure it out in that year. But I mean, Paige is just gonna go sicko mode that year. Not to get too far ahead of things, but exactly. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of Paige's injury, it left a big hole in the backcourt. Nico Mule's the only one on the roster that was a true point guard who's going to be tasked with running the offense pretty much all season long. They did add some reinforcements back there, especially at the point guard position, bringing in a Portuguese guard, Inej Betancourt. I put out what UConn said was the pronunciation guide on Twitter and a couple either Portuguese or Brazilian people started yelling at me saying that that's wrong. I don't really know what you want me to do. That's what UConn said it was. I listened to the audio file. It sounded pretty similar but I believe it's Inej Betancourt from the Azores, which is part of, part of Portugal played with the Portuguese youth national team at the U18 euros division B championship was going to go to the 2021 junior college national champions, Northwest Florida, get added exposure. She said that she, UConn's interest came after the Euros. She said she also got some other interest from school. She didn't say who they were. If she did, I didn't really understand what she said. But if nothing else, she's a body back there. Best case scenario, she's a really good backup for Nico Mule and can maybe be a similar type player. I don't think anyone can be Nico Mule, but if she can be the pass first good defender that Nika is, that's a pretty good backup player to have yeah exactly i think you're seeing that this team was lacking depth in the backcourt without Paige beckers and this helps solve that problem a little bit obviously how much she'll play or won't we'll kind of have to see how she does but at least having another option there especially when you get into biggies play and things like that where the games aren't going to be close that it just gives them an option to get Nika some rest, get the other guards some rest which i think is going to be really critical especially because you don't want anyone else to get overuse injuries and things like that when you're already down page beggars. Especially because it's not like Nika has the cleanest bill of health ever either. She's had foot injuries both years of her career. I don't know what the status is with those, if that's going to be a lingering thing throughout her career. I know the one this year was a result of the same injury that occurred in the NCAA tournament last year. But even if that one's fully healed, she hasn't proven that she can stay healthy on a consistent basis. So that's concerning when you're talking about the only player that you have on the roster. Even if Benton Court's maybe not ready, Gina likes to say that sometimes throwing them into the fire is the way for development because they just have to figure it out. So I don't think it's going to be quite the dire point where 
I mean, barring something catastrophic where they need Betancourt to figure it out on her own, but if she can at least just contribute something and help out and take that load off, not just Nika, but even AZ and the other guards, where maybe you could play both those two guards at the same time for a couple minutes just to give one of the other guards some rest, that would be big in, of, big in and of itself. Exactly. Having said all that, I'm not ready to say that Bentoncourt's definitely going to be getting a lot of playing time. So I think the point kind of remains that Nika is still their most important player because even if she gets hurt and you have Bentoncourt, Nika still is just so valuable to this team, even if it doesn't st- show up on the stat sheet, that you need her out there. And you're not going to get that same thing with Benton court. And then if Nika is down, you're still playing with a very thin backcourt. Easy's going to have to play a lot more point guard, which, you know, it weakens two of your positions. I mean, I don't know if it weakens the point guard position because AZ could probably be the best point guard in the country if she really wanted to be, but it weakens two spots in that your second guard isn't as good as AZ would be there. And AZ's not as good playing point guard as she would be off ball. So if Nika can stay healthy, that is probably the most important thing for this team. And the second most important thing would be Nika improving on her game, becoming a little more offensively competent, just keeping defenses in check, not letting them go double someone else and cutting down on fouls and turnovers. If those things happen, regardless of everything else, UConn's going to be in pretty good shape. It's going to have a pretty high floor. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's probably an unfair amount of pressure on Nico Mule right now to kind of define where this team is going to be at next season. Because of Paige's injury, there's a lot of pressure all of a sudden on her and her role with this team. But like you said, even if she doesn't do all of those things, if she can just find improve on a couple of those things, I think they're in really good shape. Yeah, it is unfair pressure because this is not why UConn brought Nico Mule to stores. She wasn't supposed to be you know, your go-to player, not that she is going to be the go-to player, but when Gino brought her in alongside Paige, you would think that she was always going to be playing next to Paige and maybe could take over some of the ball handling duties so that Paige can go play off ball. And obviously that's not the case. That hasn't been the case really for two years, but I just think, you know, if AZ is still not a superstar yet, there's still Caroline Ducharme and Lou Lopez Seneschal that can kind of carry that load a little bit. Same goes with Caroline. Same goes with Lou. I mean, all three of those kind of work together. They can all carry each other in their own way and help out wherever the other ones may need them to. But that's just not the case with Nika. Even in the front court, if Dork is not that top five WNBA pick that Gino's talked about, Ali is still going to be a contributor. One of those freshmen or Amari is going to be a contributor. Aubrey's going to help. Every other position has some sort of contingency plan except for point guard. So I, I can kind I think it's a little unfair to say that UConn should have recruited better because if everyone's healthy, you have the best backcourt in the country and it's a little thin, but does Kiki Rice come if AZ FUD's not there and there's a little more of an opening for a player of her caliber to play? I don't know how many freshman guards, especially high-end guards you're going to convince to step into that backcourt so with like not a ton of 
playing time available in even the medium term future. So it feels a little weird to blame their recruiting when you can't account for freak injuries like this happening. I mean, every player, every team would love to have the 15 best players in the country, but that's not how it works. It's just their roster was pretty good until ACL started snapping. So last week we were talking with the team. We had a chance to talk with every player. My just immediate takeaways are that Ayanna Patterson seems like a really good kid. She was really fun to talk to. She said that she's only tried to dunk in a game once. And for background, if you haven't seen Ayanna Patterson dunk, the videos are unbelievable. She can two-handed dunk. She can one-handed dunk. She makes dunking look easy, easier than I've ever seen a women's basketball player make dunking look. It's incredible. She's ultra-athletic, super strong. I talked with her. She seems like she's going to be really fun to talk to for a couple of years, but I asked her if she's ever dunked in a game. And she said once she missed the dunk and got a tech for hanging on the rim. So mostly jokingly, I asked if the tech was worth it. And without even hesitation, she went, Oh, definitely not even, <laughs> I, I would totally do it again, which I think is a great attitude to take to it. I don't think Gino would love that, but she said, Gino hasn't talked about dunking and not dunking. He just wants the ball to go through the rim. So I think we're going to see a dunk from Ayanna Patterson at some point. I am excited for that. <laughs> I'm very interested to see kind of what she is as a player because she's six one. She's a forward. She can jump. I think she's a really good rebounder. How do they deploy her in this front court though? Is she going to be played in tandem with another big? Are they going to use her when they want to go small? Is she going to be kind of similar to Aubrey Griffin being a bit of a wing or something? I'm not really sure how it's going to work with her. I think she's going to play plenty of minutes. I don't think that's going to be the issue. I'm just very curious how she'll be utilized and deployed by the staff with all her tools and, you know, what she brings to this team with that talent. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to see. I feel like that's always one of the most interesting things at the start of the season is just like, how are the freshmen actually going to be used and where do they actually fit in? The UConn system is going to be way different than wherever they played in high school 90% of the time. So that'll be a fun thing to keep an eye on as we get to exhibition and games and everything. Right. And I think the best example of that is Gabby Williams, who came to UConn as a guard, left UConn as the best five foot 11 center in the nation, <laughs> which <laughs> to this day still blows my mind that they played someone who was five foot 11, Paige Becker's height at center, and she was really good at it. Yeah, I think just a testament to how insane of an athlete Gabby Williams is. I'm curious to ask Gino how Ayana's athleticism compares to Gabby and Aubrey, because, I mean, anyone who can dunk the ball like that is an incredible athlete. But I remember when Aubrey showed up, he specifically mentioned that one of the biggest differences between Aubrey and Gabby was that Gabby was a lot stronger. And standing next to Ayana... She's very strong. And I remember a couple of the players saying that she's already leading them in the weight room pretty much. So strength is not going to be a problem with her. I'm very curious as to what Gino thinks of comparing at least those three and maybe some of the other players that he's had, because that's a different level of athleticism that only Gabby and Aubrey fit into. Yeah, exactly. They're just very unique types of players, and they're always a lot of fun to watch, but I think 
being able to fit into that mold and play that way is it requires a very specific skill set. I didn't get a chance to talk to Ice Brady. I just didn't have the time to get over to her. But I did talk with Amari DeBerry. I've actually never talked with her. She's been here two years. But probably one of the craziest conversations I've ever had with a UConn player. We were just, I don't remember what we were actually talking about, but I just offhand kind of asked what her major was. And she said something. And I didn't really... I could, I don't know if I didn't hear it or if my brain just didn't process what it was, but I asked her to repeat it and I like stepped a little closer and she says sign language. Her major is sign language, which is probably the coolest thing that a player has ever told me without me actually knowing about this going into it. Yeah, I thought for some reason I knew that UConn had a program for that, and I don't know why, but I didn't know that I fully knew that it was like a major. I knew there was classes and stuff, but that's fascinating and also very cool. Yeah, she said that no one in her family is deaf or anything, but it's just always really intrigued her from a, from a young age. She had a friend, I think she said in middle school, who's deaf, so she kind of learned trying to figure out or trying to be able to communicate with that friend but Amari just seems like a very very fun person to hang out with because she is just a fun fact machine and after I talked with Aubrey I went over and talked with one of the staffers at UConn about Amari telling them the same sign language story and I said like Amari just seems like she's a blast to be around. And they were like, oh, yeah, she is. There's never a dull moment when Amari's around. So I'm really hoping that Amari makes a bigger impact this year, just so that personality and that I say this, I use this word in the best possible way, but that weirdness comes out because there's nothing I personally appreciate more than someone who has just that that hint of weird to them. And I think Amari almost definitely fits into that case because she's she's probably one of the most unique people I've talked to with all her interests and you know her major and everything I've heard from everyone else about her too. Yeah, I feel like that comes out a little bit in her like energy on the bench when you watch kind of like her bench reactions like, like that. But it'll be fun if she's a playing a bigger role this, with this team if we get to see it more and kind of press conferences and things like that and get to talk to her more. that come out other than that not that the availability was useless but just we haven't had preseason yet we had pretty much already talked with the team throughout summer workouts so not a ton of new information on what things are going to look like i think what we learn in a month will at biggie's media day somehow roughly a month away is probably going to be a lot more telling in terms of who's looking good what they might be doing with either how they're running things or, you know, the ins and outs of the team and how they're playing will probably be a little more obvious in a month or so. But just the fact that it's already this close, I know we talked about it earlier, but it's starting to get real that it's happening with everyone on campus, with the team kind of set, even the WNBA wrapping up, that's how you know that the college season is coming soon. Yeah, exactly. It's hard not to start getting excited for it, especially because like that Texas game is so early on the schedule. That one's going to be a lot of fun. It's it's getting close and definitely starting to get excited for the season. That's going to be just the perfect litmus test for this team. Yeah, it really is. They get they get the exhibition 
they get Northeastern, which is pretty much a pseudo exhibition and then thrown to the wolves against Texas. It not like it gets a whole lot easier after that, but. No, but that's a top, what should be a top five opponent in what week two of the season. You get a really good, this team is at without Paige Peckers in that game. Yeah. Not like NC state's going to be a cakewalk either, even though they lost a lot from last year's team. That's still a well-coached team. Duke, I have no idea. Duke might be good. They might suck again. I don't know. I'm not a huge Kara Lawson fan either way. Iowa, that one will be fun, even if it's not close. I feel like... You're so... You think they're going to play Iowa. I don't think they're going to play Iowa. (laughs) You know, I feel like we've discussed this before, and I thought you were on the boat. I thought I was on the boat if they're not going to play Iowa, and you didn't think that they were going to lose. No, I thought I thought Oregon State could beat Iowa. I think they're going to play Oregon State. Uh, well, I think I'm higher on Iowa than you are in that I still think they are a top 25 team. Unlike uh, you, yeah, yeah. I still think Oregon State will beat them. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. That's I still don't think they're that good. I think they're going to flame out really early in this season. After that, they play Notre Dame. And I don't know, maybe I'm looking too much into their NCAA tournament run last year, but I feel like Notre Dame is going to be a really good team this year. Not top 10 or anything, but that like 10 to 15 range for a lot of the year. I think Notre Dame is going to be a sneaky team this year. And I've been very low on Notre Dame's rebuild. I think so too. I'm really excited to see Olivia Miles in particular. I think this team is going to be pretty sneaky good next year. Then Princeton should be a good test. I don't think Princeton has any business beating UConn, but I may be eating those words in December. Who knows? Then Maryland is either going to be really good or they're going to suck. And I just cannot see there being an in-between between the two. Yeah. I tend to lead more towards the second one. I don't, like I just, I feel like I'm not thrilled with any of the pickups that they made in the portal to replace everything that they lost. I'm not very high on Maryland for next year. This is the only good example that I can think of. So this is going to be a deep cut that maybe like two or three people understand, but in the last years of the Ray Reed era at UConn men's soccer, UConn would have a decent team. Most of their good players would either leave, graduate, or transfer. And instead of having the player development to replace those players that left, they would just go out into the transfer portal, get a bunch of transfers to plug all the holes, and every year without fail, they would get worse. And that kind of feels like where Maryland... Maryland might be at like step one of that process, but it kind of feels like they're moving in that direction. Yeah, I think so much of their season is going to hinge on how good Donna Miller can be, but that's a player that's just really struggled with injuries throughout her career, so I think that's difficult. And then, like, they didn't make bad pickups in the transfer portal. Lavender Briggs from Florida is a good pickup, and Abby Myers from Princeton also a great pickup, but I don't think they're great pickups when you consider that they also lost Ashley Uso and I've, like, I got her name, Angel Reese. Like, those were two really solid players that you lost, and I don't think those acquisitions make up for that. While we're talking on the topic of non-conference, I remembered that UNC coach Courtney Banghart said that UConn and UNC are going to start a two-game series that's kind of a home-and-home, but not really a home-and-home next season. So UConn called up UNC saying they wanted to do a neutral site game. This is according to Courtney Banghart. UConn or UNC haven't announced anything. And 
she immediately said yes and asked where the game was and they said mohegan sun and she was like no or she said you know i know that's not really a neutral site game so we said how about we do a neutral site game in connecticut and then you guys come down here and do a neutral site game in greensboro and she said greensboro is where they want it to be didn't sound like that was confirmed yet but I am very excited for the series, not only because I think UNC is a program on the rise, but I just think Courtney Banghart rocks. And the fact that she, on the same podcast that she talked about this series, just went off on NC State fans. I think she called them classless or something. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up, but what do you think about the series with UNC? I think it's a great addition. I mean, I think, like you said, a program that's up and coming, a program that's growing in the ACC fun neutral site game honestly like you want opponents that well you can sell them that are good opponents and like I think when you look at this year and they're playing Florida State that game just doesn't have any excitement to it so a program like UNC because of the name and then also the way it's coming up it's an exciting game to have there also I've heard great things about the Greensboro arena so it would be fun to get down there to watch that game on the second half of that series too I have a really hot take coming in. I'll, I'll I'll get back to this in a second, but I know Greensboro isn't in Winston-Salem, but they're right next to each other. Winston-Salem's kind of a fun town. I have never been, so I have no comment. But... You would never expect it, ever, in a million years. But it has, like, skyscrapers, not many of them, but, like, two or three big buildings, very big brewery scene, but every single brewery has not its own food truck, but like one food truck that's posted up at that brewery. The couple that I had were really good. Then just a very big food truck scene. And it's also got some ordinance or something where you're not a lot, where there can't be chain restaurants within like a certain area of downtown. So it's just all local places. Lots really easy to get in and out of the city. There's not a ton of traffic, lots of really nice stuff in driving distance of the city. So it's not Greensboro, but it's very close. I can't speak for Greensboro, but it's, it's a fun little city. So I'm excited just to to be in that area again, because I mean, you got Raleigh, you got Greensboro, you got Winston-Salem, Chapel Hill, all that right in an hour, hour and a half drive of each other. So I am also very excited to go down there for that one. Yeah, I have been to Raleigh before, and it's a fun little town as well. So, Anyways, back to UNC. Courtney Banghart said that, quote, NC State fans are so classless, end quote. And she ended up having to apologize for it, caught a lot of flack. And I would just like to say that I love that she said that, and women's college basketball needs more of just really petty rivalries like this. The more stupid things coaches say about each other, like the whole Muffet and Gino thing, the more feuds there are like that, but that aren't centered on Gino. Oh, it is so good for the game. So good. You Can you imagine what that next UNC NC state game in Raleigh is going to be like, Oh, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. I love that. She said that as well. I think it's ridiculous that she had to issue an apology about it. Who cares? <laughs> I feel like most men's coaches get away with saying way worse things and never have to apologize, but whatever. But I do think I, it's going to add to that rivalry and make it a lot more fun next season. Yeah, I had a heart attack because it was the day that this came out. I, you know, 
I wrote a story on Courtney Banghart talking about UConn playing UNC. And I saw the story or I saw the video. It got posted that morning. So that it had like 40 views on it. And I wrote it up, put it out. Then was it on Twitter for the rest of the day? But later I see that Courtney Banghart released a statement and I start reading it and she starts apologizing. And I had a heart attack that she was apologizing for announcing the UConn series when it wasn't <laughs> final. And that I had just gotten Courtney Banghart, who I met in Chicago and super nice, really enjoyed talking with her, was very nice to me, in trouble. And then I read a little more and realized it was something else she said in that interview. But that statement did give me a heart attack for a second. So I agree. <laughs> it was completely pointless for many reasons. One of them being that, you know, I would have appreciated not dealing with that stress. <laughs> but yes, Courtney Banghart rocks. That's, and UNC women's basketball is going to be really good in short order. While Duke is going to be really irrelevant very soon. Not that they are already aren't irrelevant, but for talking about the likability of the two coaches there. One's very high. You can guess where the other one is, and you could probably connect the dots on which one is which. Anyways, WNBA playoffs. They're happening right now as we're recording this, so we can't talk about finals predictions or who's advancing where or anything like that. There is a possibility that tonight is Super's last game. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that series, Seattle and Vegas, are going to a game five. I also think so, or at least hope so. <laughs> I'm not ready for it to be Super's last game. I'm still on board with, or I'm still saying that Seattle's winning the championship and there's no way Stu Bird's not going out without another championship. I I still feel that too. I think whoever wins Seattle Vegas is going to win the championship. And I do th- still think that Seattle is going to turn it around and win the series. I agree. I haven't watched every minute of every game, but I don't think the sun are all that impressive without having a point guard and the way that they kind of seem to turn out on and off. I think, I don't know. There's just something about Chicago that doesn't do it for me either in that other series. So obviously Chicago has Candace Parker in that championship pedigree and, you know, Sloot and Allie Quigley who shouldn't be discounted either, but especially Candace Parker. Yeah. I, those two teams in the West are just powerhouses though. Yeah, agreed. No disrespect to Candace Parker. She's having an amazing playoffs, but I agree. I just think that Vegas and Seattle are the better teams. This is a UConn podcast. We can send a little disrespect to Candace Parker. <laughs> I don't think anyone would complain. This is fair. <laughs> no, I I mean, yeah. I don't think Candace Parker is someone that's made a lot of friends in the last few years. <laughs> Definitely not in the UConn world, but... <laughs> If nothing else, Stewie isn't letting this be Sue Bird's last game tonight. I don't know about the rest of the team, but I feel like Stewie's just going to go God mode. Yeah, I'm kind of expecting that as well. And I mean, Stewie's been playing really well, too. So I think the two between the two of them, they can easily carry this team to a game five. Yeah, for sure. Since it's been a while since we recorded our last episode, just wanted to remind everyone again that Chasing Perfection does have its own feed. So if you want to subscribe there, since we're eventually going to stop updating the Yukon blog feed that Chasing Perfections come out for most of its time, 
there will be a link in the description. But other than that, Megan, what do you got to send us out with? Well, here's to hoping whenever you're listening to this, there's still a few more super basketball games in our future. Ideally, a whole nother series worth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That'll do it. Thanks for listening.